Hello and welcome to Spark at the Match where we discuss the fallout from the final day of the Premier League and reflect on a season like no other. I'm your host Narelle Sindos, joined by the usual suspects Michael Burgess and Ricardo Bull and gents I seem to have missed the kit memo. You have Narelle, <laughs> uh, great to be here, we've got our kit and we're also in a, uh, a change room, a football change room which, which is absolutely fabulous. Norell, I do have a Spain United kit in the car if you'd like it. I I'm going to have to turn that offer down, okay. I think, right. Ricardo. Well, hey, the offer's there. Thank you, though. Michael, have we recovered from Monday morning? It was fabulous, wasn't it? It really was. I mean, what a way to finish the season, not just for Liverpool, but the typical twists and turns for the whole, the whole Premier League, especially the top four. I know a group of us Liverpool fans were trying to find a pub to watch the game, and there was none available. Nothing was open, so then we were seeing, hey, who would be prepared to host it? and no one were prepared to risk it with their wives, etc. But Fair. Uh, the twists and turns on that final day, just watching the games and the fact that at one stage Liverpool are in fifth and then they're third, then Leicester's back up to fourth. Um, it, was, it was a wonderful way to finish such an unpredictable season. Uh, the only shame from my point of view was that there was no relegation battle because I always think those relegation battles are great. And this year, for a change, the relegation scenario was all over with a couple of weeks to go. And Ricardo, I guess it was essentially three teams battling it out for two Champions League places. United weren't affected, though, were they? No, no. In fact, we played a whole bunch of kids, you know. Um, we played very much a second, you could even say third string in places team. Uh, I think Juan Mata and uh, Nemanja Matic were probably the, the real senior players and there's a, there a whole bunch of kids on the field. So that was good from a United depth point of view and giving them some experience. But, yeah, I mean, I got up and watched, you know, the final day and watched the flick between the games and... You know, obviously, as a United fan, when Andros Townsend was through for Palace, <laughs> I was like, oh, here we go. This will really put the pressure on. So I was disappointed he didn't score just because the added drama that would have been. But as it was, man, after what we saw happen uh, at Leicester, I mean, maybe we didn't need any extra drama, right? Well, you two have actually been exchanging texts throughout the season. Um, I'm not in on this, but what was it like then, I guess, getting up just to kind of watch the other teams lose? I mean, that's kind of what football's all about in a sense. Schnadenfreude FC, isn't that what they call it? You know, you, you take pleasure in someone else's pain. Um, really? Yeah, that's a, that's a German term. You, uh -huh. you, can, you can learn more here. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there was a bit of that because, you know, for a while then United weren't playing particularly good football, so there was a little bit of me that was like, oh, who are Liverpool going to lose to this week? And, and watching those games and enjoying that experience as well. But, yeah, it was such a turbulent season that, you know, towards the end, just as, you know, as a United fan, I wanted us to peak for the Europa League final. We started falling away as well, lost to Leicester, lost to Liverpool in that, in that run and, and really did ourselves no favours. But also the irony, uh, Narell, the fact that um, Spurs saved Chelsea. You know, Spurs and Chelsea hate each other like almost any other teams, more than any other teams in, in the whole Premier League. You know, they've got a rivalry that goes back a century. Uh, so the fact that, that Spurs beating Leicester uh, saved Chelsea. Chelsea probably didn't deserve to be in the top four. And you've got to feel for Leicester again. Uh, 15 minutes to go, 2 1 up. They were through. They were in the Champions League. They were already planning their trips to all these glamorous places. <laughs> and then Casper Schmeichel, who's been one of the best goalkeepers uh, in the league this season, scores an own goal and their dreams start to die. And now they're looking forward to Europa League. So you really fell for, <laughs> feel for the, the Foxes. The other thing on that too for Spurs was they're now in this, what is it, the Europa Johnson's Paint Trophy <laughs> Conference League or whatever it's called. And I don't think anybody wants to be in that. I mean, if they had lost that game, they would have kept Chelsea out of the Champions League and put Arsenal 
in the competition no one wants to play in. So in a way, they won and lost on two fronts at the same time. Yeah, so many storylines and so many subplots. So just looking back and summarising the season, did it live up to our expectations, Michael? Yes, it was, it was absolutely fabulous uh, because I think, as you just said, even on the final day, we had these crazy twists and turns which you probably haven't seen before. So no one knew what to expect with this season because of the pandemic, because of the squads being stretched, uh, because of the pressure was going to be on players. And we saw so many un unpredictable results. Um, so the season, we'll never forget it. I wouldn't want to go through another one like that. I'm happy to go back to a normal season with fans and everything else. But it's certainly a season that will be remembered for a long, long time. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. We didn't have... I know City won it comfortably in the end, but you remember in October they were eighth, you know, and so there was it was very much up in the air for a long, long time, and we haven't had that for a while. So from that point of view, it was really good. I mean, I think at one point during the season, Southampton were top, you know, so you know, when are you ever going to see that again? I think there were nine different teams at the top of the Premier League through the season, and I think that's probably a record. So it was great to see, and it certainly kept the interest up right to the end. And saying that, the season is done and dusted, and I've asked you two to select a few awards throughout the season, and we're going to start off by your team of the season. Ricardo, I'm going to go to you first for this one. My team of the season, and as a United fan, this is probably hard to say, um, given the traditional rivalry, but Leeds United, for me. Uh, I mean, they're a team that's come up from the championship and finished in the top half. Now, I know Sheffield United did that the season before, but not in the style that Leeds have done it. And they really didn't add to their squad that much. I think they brought in Rodrigo, maybe, was the only player that hadn't been with the championship, uh, in the championship with them. And uh, the way that Bielsa had them playing gave everybody a fright. He took points off all of the top four teams. And he really um, set the team up well. And... While they got found out and they were a bit too open at the beginning of the season, sort of around January, he found a fix to that and it made them a lot harder to break down. But at the same time, they didn't play negative football. They always played the kind of football you wanted to watch and they were an exciting team and it was one of those, you always tune in to watch Leeds because you knew there was going to be entertainment, there was going to be good football, there were going to be goals. And around Manchester City is the obvious answer. Uh, eighth, eighth at Christmas, I think, win by 12 points. And Leicester, until, until Monday, Leicester were probably my team of the season, but the fact they've fallen away, the award I'm going to give it to West Ham uh, because I think they were sensational. Uh, they finished last season 16th and started this season, hardly signed anyone, had all these issues around transfers, didn't have any money, certainly were picked to be jostling for relegation again. And the fact is, during our podcast, we've probably talked about them as much as any other team. And if it wasn't for a crazy loss to Everton at home, uh, they'd be in the top four and they'd be Champions League. Uh, and, and the way they've played, uh, we haven't had a season like this from West Ham uh, since 1986. So I think when we look back on the season, they'll be one of the teams that we, we recall with quite a lot of fondness um, because they've just been amazing. Well, like you, I did toss up between Manchester City and Liverpool and I want no claims of me being biased, right? None of that, please. But... My team of the season has to be Liverpool. I mean, yes, they didn't defend their title, but for a team like that to lose your best centre-back so early in the season, not to mention the other centre-backs and your goalkeeper, and to come back and finish in third place like they did, that's some achievement. I mean, you look back to March and they were languishing in eighth place. No one expected them to make Champions League. Even Klopp, after that match against Palace, I think he said, I wouldn't have bet a penny on us finishing in the top four and they did one better and finished third. So I think they surprised us all, and I think they deserve to be there. Any qualms with that? 
Yeah, a couple. Um, if you had said to me that your manager of the year was Klopp because he dealt with all that adversity, I would agree with you. I would, right. I would give you props. But team of the year, no, I'm not wearing that. Because the thing that um, I think you forget is, remember 7-2 at Villa? Virgil yes. van Dijk played in that game. So there were cracks before he got injured. Interesting. I just remember the 4-2 at Old Trafford. <laughs> so I'll go with you in a round. No argument from me. That leads me on to the next award, manager of the season. Now, I was going to go with Jurgen Klopp, but I've gone with Manchester City boss Pep Guardiola just because of the consistency and the level that he's got his team playing at year after year. And this is their third title in the last four years, and it's Pep's eighth domestic trophy. I mean, to get a team performing consistently year in, year out is such a difficult task as we've just seen with Liverpool. There's a lot of contenders for this award, I feel. Uh, a lot of guys done a really good job. Look what Ole's done at Man United. Um, Guardiola, um, David Moyes at West Ham, and Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea. I mean, geez, he turned them around. They, what, what were they doing before he came along? And he turned them to an amazing team. But my manager of the year is El Loco, Marcelo Bielsa, uh, because I just feel that he, uh, you know, the... the the way he's got that team playing, but also the belief he's given them. They, they just go to Anfield and they were unlucky to lose 4-3. They draw with Manchester City. They have been one of the best promoted teams uh, to watch, but it all comes from him. You know, he is the heart and soul of that team and, and what he does every week and the, the colour that he's brought to the Premier League and the fact that so many people were doubting him. You know, they didn't think he was the kind of guy to get them promoted but couldn't do the rest. So I think Bielsa's been absolutely wonderful. Yeah, it's a good shout on Bielsa. I mean, I've talked about, obviously, um, his Leeds team. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry I'm not disagreeing with, with, with Michael as well, uh, Norrell, like I did with you. But uh, I've actually gone with Dean Smith. And the reason I've gone with Dean Smith at Villa is because they were a team that narrowly avoided, avoided relegation last season. And really, look at what he's brought in. He's brought in Matty Cash from Nottingham Forest, and he brought in Ollie Watkins from Brentford, really championship players. And he's improved that team a lot. Their organisation's a lot better. Their shape's a lot better. He's managed to get, I think, what was it, 12, 15 goals out of Watkins for the season. And he did a lot of that without his main man, Jack Grealish, who was injured for the last three months of the season. So I think Dean Smith's done a really good job in changing the way Villa play and making them a lot more solid. So, yeah, for me, I think in terms of what he had at the beginning of the season and how they've developed and how he's improved them, I think he's probably uh, my manager of the season. Moving on to our player of the season. A lot to choose from. Michael, who'd you go for? Oh, so many to choose from. I found this one really hard. Um... Uh, you, I think you could give this, you could rename this award the Kevin De Bruyne Award and just about give it to him every year because he he is amazing year on year. He was good again for City. Uh, Ruben Diaz uh, had the effect where he changed that team like Virgil van Dijk for Liverpool the, the season before, so he was great. Um, and and Mo Salah, 22 goals for Liverpool. I hate to think if he hadn't scored those goals, where Liverpool would be? They'd probably be in the bottom half. But my player of the year is Harry Kane. Um, in a Spurs team that was all over the place, that defensively were awful from day one to, to the end, that had the Mourinho dramas. I mean, 23 goals, 13 assists. I don't think we'll see that again. I do not think we'll see that again in the, in the Premier League era. I really struggle to see how another player could do that. And so what he brought to that team was amazing and, and he, he, he's been wonderful. Yeah, that's actually the same as me. We've actually matched up on there one we go. I know, and Ricardo, before you get your say in, I picked Harry Kane not because of the statistics, you know, most goals and most assists, but just because of probably what he's been going through mentally. We know he doesn't want to be at Tottenham. He's put in a request to leave for the second summer in a row now. I can't imagine going into work every day not wanting to be there, but still 
performing and doing what's best for the club. So I think I've gone with Harry Kane just from what he's sort of dealing with psychologically rather than what he's been doing on the pitch. And Ricardo, I'll let you go now. Yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think Harry Kane is a great shout. I, I mean, I, I was tossing up between three players. Bruno Fernandes was another one, I think. 43 goals he's been involved in, either goals or assists this season, um, which is huge. That's across Premier League and, and Europe and, and, and the cup competitions. But the player I think that's made the biggest difference to his team that you can really notice is Ruben Diaz, as, as, as Michael mentioned. So he's my player of the season. Uh, I think last season you saw Man City were very shaky at the back, and if teams did get at them, uh, they, there was all, they were always leaking goals, but Ruben Diaz has really brought an assurance at the back that I don't think they've had since uh, Vincent Kompany left. So, yeah, Ruben Diaz from me, I think, has been a fantastic signing for them. And staying with you, Ricardo, young player of the season. Well, this might be a bit of recency bias, because um, I was thinking about this, and the one that kept sticking in my head was Joe Willock. I know he's an Arsenal player who's on loan at Newcastle, but seven goals from midfield in the last seven games of the season. And he really has propelled Newcastle out of a relegation battle into mid-table safety. They finished 12th. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with him next season. Do Arsenal keep him? A lot of Arsenal fans saying, you know, given this performance, we never saw this at Arsenal. Now's the time to cash in. If we get 15, 20 million for him, perfect. And maybe a sell-on. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Joe Willock next season. I'm surprised you didn't go with Mason Greenwood. But anyways, Michael, who do you have for us? Yeah, all, all, I had three contenders that I really struggled with and they were all English, which hasn't happened for a long time. But, uh, and it's great to see that the Premier League is producing this local talent. So I had the two Masons. I thought Mason Mount has been amazing uh, for Chelsea. He's just about been man of the match in every game. Um, and Mason Greenwood, the goals he's got for United um, and the way he's got them. But my young player of the year is Phil Foden. Um, I think he's still only 20. Um, and what he's doing for Manchester City, I haven't seen a young English player play like that for, for quite a long time. Uh, he, he's just got it all. I know he's in a very good team. But the fact he's in that team and he's pushed his way in that team when City can buy anyone they want, and he's become a first choice, it's kind of scary to think how good he is going to become. So uh, my money is with uh, Phil Foden for Young Player of the Year. See, I was going to go with Phil Foden, but then I don't follow Arsenal a lot, as you probably know, but there's a youngster in there, 19-year-old striker, Bukayo Saka. Now he's got five mm. goals this season, and I just think what, what he's doing with the Arsenal team, who, as we know, haven't been performing that well, and still being able to perform like that on the pitch, I think that speaks volumes, rather than someone, no offence, like Phil Foden, who's surrounded by these world-class players week in, week out, and... Saka, you know, he's on the brink of the English squad, I think, and he's very versatile, can play in a number of different positions. So I've kind of gone out of a, on a whim here and picked him. I like it, Narelle, taking a chance, yeah. I yeah. mean, that, point taken with Foden, he does get an armchair ride. Uh, I'm always hesitant to give these awards to City players because mm -hmm. of that. But, um, yeah, he, he's been sensational last time with that young kid yeah. in a team that's been an absolute <laughs> mess for a lot of the year. Well, that's the thing, you know, you're right with Saka. I mean, because he can play so many positions. He can play wing back. We've seen him play left back. We've playing, seen him play part of the front three on the on the left. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a really good shout. Foden, I agree. I mean, uh, I, I think the fact that Pep said to the Man City board when, they, when David Silva was going, who do you want? He said, we don't need anyone. We have Foden. I think that says a lot for Foden, mm. you know. I mean, it really does. And the other thing, I think, is how he's now pushed Raheem Sterling out of the starting 11. Raheem Sterling is very much now a bit player at Manchester City because of the way Phil Foden has come through. Now moving on to our surprise of the season. Now this one was a little bit um, broad, I guess. I've actually gone for a player and I think 
I've now joined you both in giving an award to Leeds. Um, Leeds United striker Patrick Bamford. Very surprised, mm. especially with my fantasy Premier League hat on this season. 17 goals. And, I mean, he struggled in the championship last season. So for him to come into the big boys league and find the back of the net week in, week out, that's definitely taken my hat off and he's my surprise of the season. Yeah, good call. Um, he He's just been... He was a guy a lot of people were saying just might not score a goal in the Premier League. You know, the people thinking he wasn't... You know, that, that shift from Championship to Premier League, could he make it? And, geez, 17 goals. I mean, that's something else. Um, in terms of my surprise for the season, um, it's hard to go past Liverpool um, <laughs> being so bad and those um, never-to-be-forgotten, especially by Ricardo, six home defeats in a row, you know, that had never happened right back to 1892. And it wasn't just the fact they were losing games at Anfield, but it was who they were losing to. You know, it was Fulham, uh, it was Burnley, uh, they lost to West Brom. I mean, what the hell's going on here? After, after 68 games, home league games unbeaten. So that's definitely contender. But actually, my biggest surprise of the season is Sheffield United. Um, because they finished ninth or eighth last year, last season. Um, and, and I was really expecting big things from them this year or to at least consolidate. And they turned into almost the worst... Uh, Premier League team we've ever seen. I mean, they they got two points from their first 17 games, two, two draws. Uh, and for a while, they were going to be rivaling that terrible Derby team uh, that ended up with, I think, 14 or 15 points across the whole season. But they, they bounced back a bit at the end. But, yeah, I did not see that coming from Sheffield United. Uh, I thought they were going to be a lot more solid than they were. And the fact they've just fallen away completely was, was actually quite sad. And I think we've spoken about that, though. It's probably the lack of fans being at their stadium. We know Bramall Lane was pumping last year. And I think especially in that last round with 10,000 fans allowed at Anfield, especially just how much the fans really play a part in what happens on the field. Um, that was quite a cliffhanger, though. You know, you led us down a few different paths, so Sheffield United. <laughs> surprise of the season for you, Ricardo. Um, my surprise of the season has been West Ham. Uh, I know Burge talked about them earlier, but uh, I was looking at this. I did uh, some predictions on another podcast at the beginning of the season, and I had them to be relegated. And I was that was based on the fact that Moyes wasn't given any money. They only had one recognised striker. That was Sebastian Huller, and they sold him. And so they had Mikel Antonio as their only striker who, A, is injured a lot, and B, has really started life as a right wing-back slash right winger. And I just thought, man, this team looks like it leaks goals. It nearly went down last season. And so hats off to David Moyes and the job that he's done there, uh, bringing players in. Like, I mean, I think Thomas Sufar must be in a lot of people's team of the season. Uh, I think he's kind of done the, uh, if you like, the Marouane Fellaini job that Moyes used to have at, at Everton. Uh, the, the right back, the other Czech right back that he brought in as well. I think he's been uh, fantastic for them. Lingard on loans obviously made a big difference. And, you know, I just thought this was a team that was weighed down with players like Lanzini and Yarmolenko, very off and on and, and, and flattered to deceive a lot. So the fact that they need got Champions League football for me was a massive surprise. Anything to add to that, Michael? I can see you smirking there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. I'm just thinking back to Bruno Fernandes and I just wanted to ask Ricardo about him and whether, uh, is he going to keep being allowed to take these illegal penalties, you know, or, or what's happening with that? I yeah, mean, Ricardo. you know, how long are you allowed to stop for in the run-up? I mean, you, is it okay to stop for 30 seconds now? I mean, I just, I just that's one thing I'd like to see clarified before <laughs> next season, if you could... Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, uh, it's not as bad as the Paul Pogba run-up, is it? I mean, you know, <laughs> the stutters that he did. In fact, uh, if you didn't see the Europa League final, Marcus Rashford, when he took his penalty, he had a mare in the final, <laughs> and he did the Pogba stutter step, and everybody's like, oh, he's going to miss, he's going to miss, yeah. he's going to miss, but he scored. But, yeah, I mean, you know, Fernandes... That's what happens when you have players like Fernandez and Cavani and Rashford and Greenwood and earlier in the season Martial who like to run at defenders in the box. You you win penalties because you know players fail you. That's 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 what happens, Michael. You know you just have to get used to it. No, I just feel sorry for the keepers though. I think he shouldn't be allowed to stop. Yeah, see, and start I used to think Neymar runs. was bad, but now that I've he's seen he's taken that, to another level, Bruno. But exactly. he's a good player. Yeah, good player. Hands up, yes, Ricardo. <laughs> just to give this some New Zealand context, talking to Winton Roofer about it. He is a big proponent. He always talked to me over the years about how to take a penalty. And he said, just watch the goalkeeper and pause before you hit it because the keeper will always give it away and you hit it the other side. And that was from a great Kiwi who played, obviously, in the Bundesliga and things. And he was like, that's how he took his penalties. He didn't have an issue with it. He's a striker. but you know. See, I got told to take a penalty that you're not supposed to make eye contact with the keeper. So one, it was in a, we're in a tournament where we weren't very good um, back in the day. So I put the ball down on, you know, the spot kick and then just had my head down, walked back and then just ran up, didn't even look at the goal, ran up and just kicked it wide. It was the most embarrassing moment of my life. Anyway, sorry about that. You know, we sidetracked there. But last but not least, our final award of the season, moment of the season. Now I'm probably going to get a bit of grief for this, but Alison Becker, I'm sorry, to pop up <laughs> with a goal in the 95th minute to get the winner over West Brom, who were already relegated, that essentially saved Liverpool's season. And I didn't think it was that often that you see that. You know, you know, the last few minutes, you always see the keeper go up and you just sort of lose hope, you know. You don't see it that often. So Alisson's become the sixth keeper in the Premier League to actually score, but the first with his head. And I think that's going to live in my mind, just like the commentary of corner taken quickly, albeit in the Champions League. But do you know what I mean? I feel like for me, that is my moment of the season by far. It was hard to beat. Uh, it's something I don't think we'll see again. Uh, as you say, a sixth keeper in the Premier League to score a goal, but not like that, you know, not with so much on the line. And it summed up for me what's so great about the Premier League and so great about football. Uh, because in any other league, I mean, West Brom, they were relegated. They're fighting so hard in that game. They could have won that game. They were lucky not to be 2-1 up. It's 1-0, 95th minute. Uh, and then Alisson does what he does. That doesn't happen in any other sport. That's why football is the global game. We love to talk about it, but it actually is because there's no other sport where things can change so fast, so quickly, with, with such great consequences. So, yeah, that was a fantastic moment. Are you agreeing? I, I, He's doing it I, again. No, He's well, I, I'm, that was kind of my moment, but I'm actually going to go more locally. Uh, my moment of the season was Chris Wood's hat-trick against Wolves. Uh, I just thought it was absolutely wonderful. It was a wonderful hat-trick. I mean, that first goal he got was just stunning, and the other two were, were brilliant as well. Uh, but I was just so happy for Chris and for the game here that he got that recognition that I feel he sometimes goes under the radar. Uh, but suddenly, for three or four days, he was all over the mainstream media. Everyone wanted to talk to him. He was all over the Premier League. Uh, he should probably get that recognition a lot more often. But the fact he did, and to see a Kiwi scoring a hat-trick in the top flight in English football was something we, all of us probably thought we'd never see. Uh, so, yeah, that, that is actually my moment of the season. Nice. That's a good moment for, for Kiwi football fans particularly. I mean, and probably all those English football fans who can't figure out why Chris Wood isn't in the Euro squad because um, <laughs> there is a bit of that going on. There is. Um, you know, on yours, Narell, I, I would have hated to have been in the West Brom dressing room with Big Sam afterwards going, there's a big lump 
six foot four in tights in the penalty area and no one decides to mark him? How do you miss that? I mean, you know, really, I mean, way, it, was, it was a great header. A great header. Great header, but he was unmarked. It's like, how does that happen? So, yeah, props. I mean, that's the one, that, that's the headline moment, I think, towards the end of the season. Chris Wood, I, I granted, yeah, I think. Um, a little more pragmatic, maybe, and maybe a little bit negative, but moment of the season for me in terms of, I think, how it really changed the outcome of the season was Jordan Pickford on Virgil van Dijk. I mean, I know I mentioned that he was still in the team when, you know, Liverpool lost it into a villa, but really, I think they could have recovered from that with his leadership and the way, you know, that he bonds the team together and his drive. But losing him, that moment, that took Liverpool out of the title race, and I think that was a pivotal moment in the season. Is in a positive moment of the season? It's a great, call. it's a great call. I mean, I've been trying to wipe that from my memory. Uh, my memory banks completely. It's, a, it's a wonderful call, though. Um, I was watching that game live, and and the, I remember just Pickford's crazy kamikaze challenge, which no one can understand why I didn't get a lengthy ban for. But at the time, and you saw the way he went into Van Dyke. I just had this sickening feeling: this ain't going to be good. And then Van Dyke stands up, and you just get this feeling: okay. This season's going to be different to last season. And, and as Ricardo says, that's exactly how it's played out. They never recovered, especially, I think, mentally from not having big Virgil back there. Um, so that, that is a moment that, that a lot of fans, Liverpool fans and, and Premier League people who follow it, will never forget as well because just, just the way he was injured, it was just so bizarre. Well, gents, it's going to be a while until the next um, podcast. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I think uh, savour this one, enjoy it. Uh, it's a little bit of an unknown. Are we going to have fans in for next season? Who knows? Um, so, yeah, I think this has been one for the ages. It's one that will definitely go down in history when people talk about great Premier League seasons. I think this this will certainly be one of them. So enjoy it. I just think the the one of the biggest things out of this season is uh, we'll be all been reminded how important fans are because it just wasn't the same without them, and and some teams fell apart without them. Liverpool especially <laughs> fell apart, as we said before, Sheffield United, but Liverpool especially, I think of all the teams, they just couldn't play at Anfield without their fans. And, and so what those fans bring in the colour and the atmosphere, we had a n nice taste on the final day, uh, but it was just a really good reminder how important fans are, and hopefully the clubs and the owners remember that, and uh, the fans con continue to be looked after, and we have a season next year with the stadiums full, because you just can't beat that. Absolutely. Gents, thank you so much for your company on this podcast over the last few months. We hope that you've all enjoyed it as well, and we hope you've liked the Premier League coverage on Spark Sport. But in the meantime, enjoy the sleep-ins, and we'll see you in a few months.